Welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast, the nature-based show hosted by me, Jack Perks. Each week I'm joined by a guest from the world of wildlife television, art and science. We take a light-hearted look into what makes these people tick and connect with the natural world so strongly, with new episodes out every Tuesday. In today's show, I'm talking to ace fly angler Marina Gibson, and this is part of a series of podcasts all month talking to influential and celebrity anglers. I'm also working on a crowdfunder this month, Britain's Hidden Fishes, which I'm aiming to make a one-hour film on British fish. Think Blue Planet, but on a smaller budget, and there's a link to that in the description. Marina has got to be the most well-known female angler in the country. She runs the Northern Fishing School, which helps people of all ages connect with fishing, and she's appeared on multiple TV shows, YouTube videos, and magazine articles, not to mention being a brand ambassador for Orvis Fishing Company. We chat about what drives people to go fishing, how women anglers are perceived in the sport, and if women are indeed better anglers, along with quick-fire questions at the end, like favourite fish, venue, and methods. Here's our chat. Well, Marina, thanks for joining me. It's my pleasure. Thank oh. you, Jack. How are you doing? Good, good. All things considered. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because you're not in the UK at the moment, are you? I'm not. I am across the border in Germany. I'm. Uh, I'm just. I've done a bit of fishing. Uh, luckily, fishing is a COVID activity, so we're lucky. We're very fortunate. I guess it makes sense for a lot of. Um, countries across the world really I guess because fishing's outdoors and typically you're on your own or if you're not on your own you can space so it's it makes sense for it to be allowed doesn't it really yeah sure I mean there are restrictions you can't for example for me I couldn't take people out and guide and instruct at the moment but because fishing is considered a solo sport you can go out by yourself and um, we've seen a huge increase since the press came and and out and said that you can go fishing or go play golf which was the first lockdown there's been an increase of 114 percent rod licenses last last year and now fishing continues to be a covid allowed activity and i don't think golf is because it's a very um social activity i guess no well i I can't stand golf so that's not really gonna (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sorry if anyone likes golf but I'm lucky not. for you yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I forget there's a famous quote isn't it? it's the best way to spoil a walk I think it's often yeah. lumped in with Churchill but I don't think Churchill did say that but yeah <laughs> anyway we're not I'm not here to slag off golf I'm here to talk about fishing so uh, when when did you start fishing was it from a young age yeah I started when I was around the age of five my parents were very much into fishing that's all we did for family holidays everything was sort of orientated around fishing so wherever we were in the world we would always make sure that we had some fishing uh, at hand and a lot of our sort of holidays were driving up to Scotland in a car as a family and and just spending the time outdoors with our dogs and fishing whether that's using conventional tackle or fly fishing but we really uh, spent a lot of time outdoors because you're quite dog you mentioned dogs you're quite dog minded as well aren't you Yes, I do have a dog. His name is Sedge, and I rescued him from Romania. And oh, he loves. A couple of my friends have done that. Like it seems to be quite popular now, doesn't it? Like getting these. Was he a street dog or just in a in a pound there? Or yeah, he was a street dog. Yeah, it's a nice thing to do. And I guess now after Brexit, I don't know whether 
will be, or maybe it's just more expensive to do it. But at the time, I rescued him three years ago, and I think it was two hundred and fifty pounds for everything. That's including travel, microchip, neuter, everything. Yeah, because so, I, I like how we've gone on to a tangent about dogs on this, but yeah. like, the price <laughs> of dogs has shot up. Through, uh, I mean, like I was, cause we've got a, a, a miniature dachshund, and we were like, oh, let's get her a little friend. And we were looking, and, and the price of puppies is is actually you know, like two and a half grand. And we, we can't justify that. And but even the um, rescue dogs are quite difficult to get hold of now. So it seems to be. Yeah, and now they're saying instead of puppies aren't just for Christmas, they're saying puppies aren't just for lockdown. No, exactly. I think there'll be a a, a lot of rescue dogs when this is uh, over, mm -hmm. or certainly when it's relaxed. Unfortunately, back on to fishing. Uh, <laughs> what uh, what drives you to go fishing then? I mean, a, a lot of people, people who don't go fishing, I think this is one of the things they they probably ask anglers the most is why do you do it? Like, what makes you want to go out and and catch fish? I think for me, it always changes. So I guess when I was in my early 20s basically I grew up and then my parents separated I was 11 I only did it through my teenage years I probably only did it a couple of times a year so it wasn't like it was ingrained in my lifestyle at all and then I moved to London in my early 20s when I was 20 uh, 21 I found that my weekends were just repeating themselves so I wasn't actually achieving anything I would go out with friends and I would be hung over on Sunday and I would <laughs> get takeaway and you know what most people do is it's just but for me this, it made me just feel very useless I needed to achieve you know I needed to keep busy needed to achieve and uh, so I thought about things that would get me outside challenge me and that's when my parents well actually before my birthday I thought okay why don't I give fishing a go um, again but by myself this time not with my parents you know um, because it, you know when you're going with someone who knows their stuff and you've going by yourself you're really chucked into the deep end so you've got to I think you've got to be quite brave and this is my my point is that well my end point which I shouldn't say now I should say at the end but <laughs> it's it, it doesn't take long for you to gather information and get used to doing it by yourself you've just got to take that plunge and basically when I decided that I wanted to fish more my parents at the time um, when I was 21 they both gave me a salmon rod and a trout rod and so now I had a little bit more independence I had I had a car so I asked some questions to uh, local fish, uh, fishing shops and friends that would probably know where I could start I remember I had a friend called Angus who loved fishing and I asked him where I can go fishing near London and he said Zion Park so that's where I started I, I sort of started out just by going every single weekend and I became so addicted and at the time you know my casting was probably rubbish <laughs> and it was just something that I had grown up with I had never had tuition or you know I had just been given a rod okay there you go go and catch a fish so it was a time where I learned the most probably because I was by myself if I was stuck I would probably google on my phone how do you tie this knot and then I just learnt on the job really so it progressed so basically my my point is that back then it was all about really honing in my 
technique of fishing, my casting, my uh, knowledge on knots, how I managed to handle the fish at the time, because no one teaches you how to handle the fish. And a lot of people I find now when I teach, they're so scared of touching the fish or handling the fish because they just don't know what to do. So that's part yeah. of the reason I think a lot of people don't go fishing by themselves in the beginning because they have no idea about fish handling. So that's a really, I think that's number one is to learn fish handling before you go out, you know, into the world instead of just going out there and just trying to discover it out by yourself or watch YouTube videos or read books about it because that's really, really important. And then it sort of goes through um, stages of, uh, since I was 21 so it was all about technique and then it grew to you know because now I was discovering that I could cast and catch a fish now I wanted to catch as many as possible and then I wanted to progress onto other species so it wouldn't just be trout it would be other things like maybe pike or carp or bass things that you can catch in the UK and then it went on to international travel and by that time I had probably gained as much experience to then go and start doing some exams. So I did the Angling Trust one and two uh, coaching exam. And then I did my FFI uh, Fly Fishers International Casting Instructor exams in 2018. So then it was just a factor of um, me. I think now I've been, I've been guiding for four years now. So I've been, I made it into a career four years ago. Uh, which was very satisfying and, and it hasn't been easy it's not just like you know I left my job in London where I was getting a salary and I, I knew that money would come in at the end of the month you know it was hard grinding and I I don't have weekends off anymore it's not like you have a nine to five job where you can switch off at five o'clock and on a Friday evening and then go and have could totally relax and not have to think about work you know I've I think about work all the time I've never I'm I'm never off apart from this Christmas, I think I had two weeks off and it was just amazing. I've never watched so much TV and just relaxed <laughs> and not thought about anything and ignored my emails. So now, you know, it's it's hard work being self-employed and it's hard work being self-employed when you're working in an industry that is so small and the market is is small although growing now, you know. It's the life of a freelancer as well, what you've described pretty much is that, yeah, there's, there is... There's no such thing as a weekend. And like, yeah, I took yeah. a, the week after I got married, I thought, right, I'm actually going to have a week off. And I thought, when's the last time I had a week off? And I thought, I don't think I have since I started. So it's it's healthy <laughs> to do, but it's nice uh, it's nice to do it as well. And it, it's interesting hearing you say your background, because it's quite similar to mine in that my parents split up uh, when I was quite young. And then when I went to university, I kind of gave up on uh, other distractions <laughs> at university. Just, I, I didn't bother fishing for a while. And then I came back to it when I finish uni and I don't fish very often now but when I do it's a real treat and I, and I make sure I leave the camera at home just because I think it is nice to have some I know fishing's your you you love it and it's your job I, I like to kind of treat it as a as a treat really just something to just mm. go and enjoy and I don't I don't necessarily go all day I might only sneak a couple of hours on the local canal or um, nice. on a little river trotting or something like that but it's just nice to recharge the batteries I find uh, especially with all yeah. the benefits of mental health and whatnot. And for you, was it the chicken or the egg that came first? Was it the fishing or was it the underwater in videography? Well, it was wildlife first. So I was always interested in nature first. And then I picked up a rod when I was 11. And then I just thought, oh, this is great. I get to see things that I wouldn't normally get to see. 
and then I kind of thought how can I turn this into a career so I went I did a degree in Falmouth in Cornwall so I lived down in Cornwall for three years so I did a bit of sea fishing down there which was quite nice and then I kind of thought well, how can I marry these two and filming fish was the the solution cool. that's one of what I've been doing eight odd years now I've been doing it so amazing it doesn't seem that long but yeah it has been a while I guess now I've been plugging away I started uh I got a wetsuit last year and I started just swimming with the fish and you beat me to it because I I went to Diva and I fished there I can't remember when it was maybe in the maybe in the spring summer okay and I I asked them because I just I just because I'm really obsessed with fish and I'm sure it's exactly like you I absolutely love them and it doesn't matter whether I'm catching them or just looking at them yeah so I um, I have a friend called Mark Barry who I I'm sure you know um I know of him yeah does the, yeah underwater videography and I asked him whether I could tag along and I got a wetsuit and I it was more to do with the fact that about the um pollution situation right now that we've got going on in, in our waterways at the moment but um when I went to Diva I was like it would be fantastic to go fishing with these monstrous trout and so I asked them and they were like yeah yeah sure come back next time and I wasn't able to go. And then I saw you at Deep Springs. <laughs> and everyone, ever, someone sent me a video saying, um, that, um, th this guy uh, beat you to it. Like, Who is that? And then I, it wasn't, it didn't say your name anywhere. So I had to track it down. But then uh. you popped up and said, just been to Deep Springs and filmed. And I was like, it was Jack. And, I was like, <laughs> and so I really, I really want to go there because I bet that was amazing. Well, I was I was actually there filming on on the chalk stream, the diva, because there's some big grayling in there, some real monster grayling. Oh. I want to get those, and um, and then I didn't I didn't twig that Diva Springs was right next to it, and, I, and it's literally just across the road. I thought, well, I've got I've got to have a look. I've been you know watching angling programs all my life, and you see like John Wilson or whoever fishing it in the '90s, and I thought I've got to poke my head in. Yeah. And I just rolled. I don't know what the guy must have thought. I just rolled up and said, "Can I jump in your stock pond?" And they were like, yeah, okay. So uh, they let me they let me go in. And these, you know, it's not everyone's cup of tea. I mean, I did get a few people go, oh, it's not very, very nice seeing all these big fish. But gin clear water, amazing being in the water with fish that large. Because 20 pound trout, some of them absolute monsters. And there's yeah. a lot of wild fish in there as well. There's lots of minnows, eels, pike, a couple of pike in there, roach. So there's all sorts. So of wait, did you go into the main ponds or did you? This is a stock pond. This is there was loads of other yeah, stuff so in you the went, stock pond. Yeah. Okay, so you went to the big the big lake. There's behind behind the big lake. That's where he keeps all his monsters. So that's where I I hopped in. Um, he did say I could okay. go in the lake if there were no anglers, but um, the, the, I didn't want to kind of. I, I think if I was fishing, the last thing I'd want to see is me swimming by um, <laughs> by yeah. your peg. So I decided to keep <laughs> out of there. But it was still good fun and quite uh, quite quite enjoyed that. What I wanted to ask, because I, I, I bet you get asked this all the time, but do you think women anglers are, are better? Because there seems to be this perception, I guess, with with a lot of anglers, uh, or, or not perception, but there's a whole thing about pheromones that people, I don't know if there's anything in the whole pheromone thing, but like with uh, Georgina Ballantyne being the, the record holder for salmon. And I think the largest catfish or official catfish was caught by a woman as well. So women seem to have this power to catch these big fish. But do you think women make better anglers or do you not think it really matters? I don't know. I mean, it's really hard to prove that's more scientifically prove that. But yeah. I think that from my experience, guiding and instructing women or men, I think women, because it's perceived as a male dominated sport, I think yeah. women get extra excited when they do well. And I think they do. I think 
especially with fly fishing. Fly fishing, the casting is all about finesse. It's not about overpowering the rod. And I think that women naturally are more gentle when they cast. So I found that it's much easier to tell someone who is applying, uh, not applying um, enough power and momentum into the cast by so by telling them just to add a little bit more power and acceleration I think it's much easier to tell someone that rather than telling someone to rein it in and put yeah. less power on the acceleration and the power and acceleration during the cast so I think I think it is because guys, I mean, everyone says guys overpower the rod and they try and cast to the other side, which I think a lot of, I think a lot of guys will say, oh, women are better listeners and women don't try and cast to the other side of the, the uh, river um, or lake. Um, but I think that's again, like, you know, men are, men are, men can cast further than women. Yeah, it's like a macho thing. I think is could be true because I've I, I did my first world championship uh, casting in Milan and the men do cast further than the women um, but in saying that when you're casting distance and you're let's say in that situation where it is actually some uh, there is a part where it is there is um, you know your strength is quite important but I do think that just normal fishing let's say you're fishing a little stream and um, I think maybe women come across as better anglers because they're you know they don't have as much as much testosterone so when things aren't going right they're more calm whereas men might get a little bit more angst and we all know that angry people do not catch fish so I <laughs> <laughs> think there's a reason that there's more men than women anglers then because i can't see i don't know i don't know if there is a reason or if you've got a theory behind that or i think that uh, it's difficult i think it's been a male dominated sport for so long and i think in history i mean obviously there's been women who have been out there fishing forever yeah and um you know like you said Georgina valentine tiny morrison who's got the second record but i think that men have always had a little bit more um i think fishing and outdoor sports have always been a little bit more accessible to them historically so i think that's why we we are now seeing such an increase in women in in outdoor sports is because it's more accessible to us you know we're not we don't not all of us stay at home um, and look after the children like most of us are all out and whether we are um uh, stay-at-home mums we get to go out and do stuff now um we run our own businesses we have more freedom and i also think that fishing you know for a lot of girls again historically we like girly things and guys like manly things and fishing is outdoors sometimes it's in the pouring rain or freezing cold temperatures and i think you know, now that more women are getting into these outdoor sports, it's now something that women can go, oh, I can do that. That doesn't actually look that hard. And um, yeah, we are seeing a huge increase in, in women. And actually, it's the fastest growing sector in the sport. Oh, okay. Do you mm -hmm. find that uh, perceptions are changing? Because I guess 
not negative perceptions, but like, so for example, if you, a, a woman turns up um, to a fishery, it can sometimes almost be jarring for male anglers. Not, and that's not necessarily a good thing. I'm just saying they're like, oh, what, why is she fishing? Because it, it is so male dominated. But do you, would you say perceptions are changing then in that regard? I think that men are always surprised when women turn up to go fishing. Yeah. I think that when they start fishing and the men can, it either goes two ways. It either goes that the woman doesn't know and she's the beginner and, and they try and help her as much as possible. And they come and they might give her a fly or, okay. um, and so that's not, nice. Not, Sometimes, so much, not so much mansplaining, but actually genuinely trying to help you mean. I think so. I mean, yeah. sometimes it can be a little patronizing, but at the same time, like they're just trying to help. And actually, I okay. would rather have someone try and help me than someone just ignoring me. And when you walk behind them, they don't even turn around and say hi. Yeah. And they know you're there. But, or it can, you know, they're, yeah. So I don't know what my second point was, to be honest, but <laughs> I think that, I think that five years ago when I used to go alone, a lot um to still waters sometimes they would just yeah some some guys would be like you don't see many women you know yeah, out that, yeah, here line, i yeah. did have a funny occasion when i was guiding a lady um and we were on our home lake of one of our local still waters called tanfield and the lady actually got wet well she she uh, fell in to the lake okay. she didn't even fall in she kind of went swimming by accident and then she went to the bank and she was completely soaked through so she took her waves off took her trousers off and over the brow of the hill a man was walking with his rod to go back to the car park and she had literally just pulled her trousers down where it revealed a black thong <laughs> and he was i i was watching him because i was standing in front of her and I was watching him and he was so shocked he did not know what to do honestly it looked like he was just heart about attack. to have a heart attack <laughs> and he didn't want he wanted to look but he didn't want to for me to know that he was looking no, so yeah. we were I was laughing and she was like what are you laughing at and she looked around and he was there and she was just like oh I'm so sorry and he was like oh don't be sorry <laughs> and he was like I, ne I never come fishing and see that so uh yeah <laughs> going home a happy man but I think I think what I'm trying to say is women out fishing we are men and women are different you know we see things differently we speak differently about you know certain subjects so I think it's really for refreshing to have that uh, point of view from both sexes because I find that women get a lot more excited but more in a little bit of a, like a hyper way when they catch fish whereas men they sort of you know, they'll be a bit more chilled about it. They won't be as surprised that they've achieved something. Whereas women are like, oh my God, I can't believe it's my first fish. Yeah. And they'll sort of go, you know, uh, get really excited. So, but I think that both aspects, I think men bring something to sport and I think women bring something to the sport. And yes. I think that a balance of that is really, really healthy for the industry and community. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's good to, to have both, uh, both, both sides on there. On a, on a more kind of general question, I mean, anglers are often obsessed with with the weight of the fish. Do you think there's a reason 
why anglers because the, the classic example is say i mean everyone goes on about a two pound roach which is kind of like but i always think well if you caught a one pound 15 ounce roach would that not be still a special fish like i mean i, I personally don't weigh fish i never bother i should do really but i just like to look at them as they are. i don't think weight's that important but obviously some anglers are obsessed with it and i just wondered if you uh had a, had a, a theory or, or or as to why anglers are so obsessed with the weight of fish no, it's an interesting question, actually, because <laughs> I guess move on. <laughs> back in the back in the day, years ago, you catch and release wasn't in it wasn't a massive thing that we practiced. Um, and now, instead of taking your fish home and perhaps telling your friends how big your fish was or, you know, now we we need to. I think people feel that they need to record things so that they, because a lot of people, they use their social media as a sort of fishing diary. Yeah. And I don't know what it is about, I, I guess some certain species, personally, I've started recording the length because a lot of the time the length, for example, a pike or a trout, I think a lot of people do get obsessed with this. And I think that I'm getting, I'm actually really enjoying measuring the length and then seeing you know is my next catch going to be bigger or smaller and recording these um down but it's more a european and american thing isn't it they tend to do length over yeah yeah but weighing wise i only weigh something if if it's a if it's a big fish i don't necessarily weigh small fish and that's not to say you know turn my nose up at, at smaller fish because i would still take a picture of a small fish and i think it's what's happened in that in, in to lead up to that moment I think if that's a really special fish for you then maybe but I yeah I don't know about weighing maybe that I think that's more coarse fishing I would say Possibly, maybe think, it is maybe it's not such I, a big deal in fly fishing I mean it is like people love to weigh their fish in fly, fly fishing as well but I think coarse fishing is definitely very much focused on how big it's certain what you know yeah. how much a certain species ways um but i don't know what's your theory on this i don't know i mean i, I suppose if you think about it the bigger the fish are the more wily in, well they should be more wily so they should be harder to catch so mm -hmm. maybe it's kind of like the prowess of i've caught the the biggest and and, and rarest fish maybe that's that or i mean it, it could come down to just simple glory hunting in, in a way people want to um, I mean, there's a difference between yeah. being proud of, of what you've caught, obviously, but then there is this whole subsect of angling who just want to catch the biggest fish to get in a paper or be recognised mm. for for whatever, which, you know, it's, it's good, I guess. I mean, I was actually present for a British ro uh, rod court record. I I was with the guy who caught the record stickleback. Ah, that's so, cool. Uh, yeah. Same so, <laughs> Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, so I didn't catch it, but he did. But that was because he was going to just chuck it back. I was like, no, no, that's that's definitely over the record. And then he had to he had to go <laughs> home, get some kitchen scales to weigh it because uh, he didn't have any scales low enough. And then it was um, it's about two. I, I think it was 10, 10 grams or something like that, which was pretty pretty big. But it was a female <laughs> that had laid eggs. So if he'd caught it with its eggs, it would have been oh even wow. So there's a, there's a record to be out there somewhere if someone wants to bivvy up and try and get a, a record stickleback. But he was really chuffed with it. He was quite Aww. happy with that. I don't, I think, I don't, I wouldn't say on, let's say I've posted something on social media and I've guesstimated that it's, let's say, 19 pounds or 21 pounds or however big the fish is. I don't 
tend to guesstimate and then tell everyone how no. well, how much it weighs. You've made a great point there as well, because social media can be pretty toxic on, on the subject of fish weights, uh, which is another mm. reason why I don't put that, because uh, the amount of fishing groups I'm on and someone says, oh, I've just caught a 10 pound barbel and half the comments are that's not 10 pounds. That's yeah, exactly. And it's, and it's like, oh, why are you why does it was it matter? You know, yeah, um, it's it can be really toxic and horrible on there. So that's a good point, actually. I also think um, the IGFA records it's obviously so much about the IGF records because um, IGFA records because of the tippet class. So certain species, you have your tippet classes and you have your world records and people go out and they catch these pretty big fish actually on very light tippet. And I just, I just don't agree with it. I just think as I, well, I, like I've just, I've recently- Sorry, Marie, yeah. I've, I've not come across that. So what's that? They they use light line to catch big fish? Yeah, so they have class systems, tippet okay. class systems. So for example, they'll have, they'll fish for marlin with 20 pound tippet. Right. So that, so basically the thing about it is, and a lot of people out there, they they love IGFA and they'll, they're really for it, but I think the problem is, is that when you're fighting such big fish on light tippet, you're not going to try and get it in as quickly as possible. You're going to really carefully. And I just, I'm just not sure. Like the more I see, I, I came across someone's profile the other day who was um, an IGFA record holder and pretty much all their fish were held it through the gills. And these were wow. trout. Then it stated that they were all catch and release. And just for people out there, if you do hold, and most most of us, there's probably a very small percentage of people who would think that this is okay, but holding the fish through the gills, especially with the trout, not saying for predators like uh, pike and zander, you can go through the gills and they've got this little sort of indent where you hold them. But with trout, you, you, you will kill them. Fact. There is no way you can hold a trout through its gills and expect that fish to be okay afterwards. So I was just surprised that IGFA has supported someone who was holding fish through the gills and then saying they had caught it and released. So I don't know, there's there's a lot of sort of, you know, things around, a lot of debate going around whether it's right or wrong. But I think that once you get into world records and trying to chase that I think for me personally and I know that a lot of people chase them for certain reasons but for me I I think it would ruin fishing for me because I would always be thinking competing you know just to catch that world record and anything that isn't a world record would be not as important to me yeah I think it would put pressure and, and stress and that's not why we fish is it really so I definitely definitely agree with that you're, you're predominantly associated with fly fishing so especially trout and salmon but uh, have you tried for other species I think you did mention earlier about carp and bass but you've, you is it just those you tend to target or you go for kind of a plethora I um so I mainly guide for trout and salmon yeah and then I will I always say that my hobby is fishing for other species so i I caught actually I caught a big zander the other day which was 95 centimeters long oh, which right. is pretty big yeah it's a monster zander so um, I fish for anything really any any literally anything it doesn't matter whether it's the tiniest fish or the biggest fish 
you know anything is game for me um i i'm obsessed with fish and for me i'm so obsessed with fish that how could i just fish for two species so um yeah pike carp any um saltwater species uh jungle species anything anything i can get my hands on really yeah good i think that's that's kind of the way i adapted up i've never been to say haven't been fussed about big fish but i like to catch a variety of uh, yeah. different species so i like to kind of target venues um that have got a good so it's why i mean i don't live anywhere near the sea but i quite enjoy the light rock fishing that you've seen the lrf you know when they target the little mini marine species on tiny lures have you come across Ooh. that what about wrasse yeah so Did things so basically wrasse? there's a whole subsect of anglers i was just uh, chatting to jeremy wade about this and they use really tiny lures um off, off like marinas and harbors and they catch like gobies blennies wrasse uh you name it you know you can catch 20 species in a day um, if I live nearer the coast, I'd be obsessed with it. But obviously, Nottingham is not particularly ideally situated for sea fishing, but um, that's quite good fun. But I enjoy, min you know, gudgeon. I love catching gudgeon and, and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So anything, uh, anything that swims, really. Um, and I was trying to dig out uh, a good anecdote about you. So I reached out to my spies and they've told me uh, about a time that you went to the Lake District and you climbed up a mountain but forgot some gas. So you had to share some pate with four people and two dogs. Do you remember that? Uh, <laughs> hey, did you talk to Sarah? By I any did chance? talk to Sarah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, she forgot the wine. <laughs> well, that's the most important thing. I mean, bloody hell. It was, it was. <laughs> it was funny. Oh, Sarah's such a good girl and I really enjoy her company and I don't get to see her as much as I want to, but um, we did have this incredible time climbing Coniston and, um, we went fishing as well. We took our dogs. We went camping um, up above, what do they say? Like wild camping, you have to be above um, the far the farming line, like sheeps, sheep, sheeps, uh, sheep. And okay. apparently that's a rule anyway. So we, we made sure that we were above that <laughs> and we slept in, in the most beautiful place. It was next to a lake. And in the morning we woke up, I think it was, a, I, can't, I think it was four o'clock. And we climbed the rest of Coniston in the early morning and we saw the sunrise with our dogs. It was just so beautiful. And uh, yeah, but I do blame her still for not having a party up there because she forgot the wine. No, I have to just get euphoric off the uh, scenery instead rather than, uh, yeah, exactly. rather than wine. Uh, well, before we go, I'm just going to do some quick fire questions. So uh, what was the first fish you caught? Oof. I think it was probably a stillwater trout. We used okay. to, when we were really young, we used to go to a, a trout fishery called D Donington Trout Farm. And um, it was only five minutes away or less than that um, from where we lived. And we used to go there and we used to catch trout off sweet corn because we were so young. Yeah. You, you know, it's quite difficult to uh, keep kids interested especially if you're fly fishing because it is quite difficult when you when you start learning um so yeah we were fishing with sweet corn and we would catch a trout and then the guy would take the trout into his um little fishery type shop um, but it was also where he had all the tanks of the fish and so they were homegrown trout 
and he would get them on the sideboard and he would cut them open and it was it was literally from the lake and he would take them straight away up to the sideboard cut them open and then take out the heart and show us that it was still pumping and I just remember that so vividly and we were so interested yeah because as a kid you're so you're you're so interested in everything you're curious and you want to ask as many questions as possible and we it was such a cool thing to see and that's just yeah um but it was probably a trout and other than that um when i was 11 i caught my first atlantic salmon and then the guy asked me whether i wanted to release it because normally you kill your first salmon whether you want to catch and release after that but actually i said to him no i want to let it go so aged 11 just caught my first salmon let it go 10 minutes later caught my second one and like most of most of the listeners will know that atlantic salmon are really hard to catch so it's it's a really special moment when you do have one on the end of the line and um yeah so that was that was a very cool not caught one it's my on my to-do list this year i keep talking to i think you know james stokes don't you yes i keep kind of uh chatting him up to try and uh, get on the tweed at some point because I think that's got quite good numbers if you want to catch one that's a the tine the tine sorry the tine that's um, a pretty good place to um to start so I'm, I'm considering trying to get up there this year and and then you can film the release yeah well that's uh that had crossed my mind as well so try not to treat yeah. it as work but you can't you can't yeah. <laughs> slightly off topic I wondered as well um why is it that we you never see bait fisheries for trout is it just because they'd be so suicidally easy to catch on on bait that it wouldn't be worth doing because you you next to never see any fisheries that are set up to allow you to bait fish for them do you i don't know is, is it just because they'd be really easy or yeah I, I mean it probably would be easy like to be honest it's interesting that you said that because i'm just about to stock a lake um, at the fishing school okay. so and I've decided to go mix because I want kids to have the opportunity to course fish and fly fish. So I'm going to allow course fishing for kids on the lake, as well as stocking it with some course fish as well. Okay. And I think that that's just wonderful that you can course fish and fly fish on the same lake. There's no barriers. There's no, you know, it's all everyone can come and have a go and even if I have some people say oh can I come course fishing on your lake? Of course I'm going to let them go. I don't know why there's such a divide and I don't know. I really don't know why, because I mean, maybe, yes, it's probably easier to catch trout on, on, you know, sweet corn or uh, something smelling, you know, something yeah. that smells yeah, nice. Maggots. I mean, if you, if you trot a river that's yeah. got trout and you're fishing a worm or a maggot, yeah. they're on it, you know, straight away. They're very, yeah. they're quite obliging. But I think, um, I think it goes back to fish welfare. As long as you get that fish in as quickly as possible and as long as you handle it the right way, and if it is catch and release, get it back as quickly as possible, keep it in the water and um, don't have it on the bank flapping about because this is how, you know, you might say, and there's a tagline that goes goes along with this, um, uh, she went back fine. Um, she was out for a minute and she went back fine. And it if you take a fish out of the water, it the recovery time is so much longer so yes it might kick and it might swim away but if you haven't handled that fish properly then the likelihood of that fish uh popping up and you know i don't know it could be half an hour later it could be a few minutes later popping up somewhere that you won't be able to see it um or maybe in a short distance um is the likelihood of that is very high so 
for anyone who's just about to start fishing who or who's interested or maybe for people who perhaps can improve their catch and release handling and everyone can everyone can improve just make sure that you know the reason why we get to fish is because there are fish to catch so especially with wild fish you know put and take legs you can get away with because these fish are farmed heavily so if you've got a kid that mishandles a fish and it goes back and it does die it's not the end of the world but if a wild fish something really precious uh, is mishandled and then you put it back and you think yeah yeah it just swam off really fine and you've had it on the bank for ages and it, I'm not saying every species is like this because I know that the carp world you know that's slightly different where you can yeah. have the carp out but at the same time I heard someone say that the the bigger carp if you get them out onto land um for too long or even the biggest one the very big ones out onto land at all it's it squishes their organs so i think we've got to be really mindful of how we treat these fish when they come out because personally for me i will 99 percent try and get into the water with the fish because yeah. i don't have to bring it up on an unnatural surface where it's going to remove its um you know protective slime or it's going to hit its head you know just and a lot of people say oh yeah but the salmon you know if you've got an atlantic salmon up on the the ground and they say yeah yeah but they they jump on up uh, waterfalls and hit themselves on rocks yeah okay that's fine but that's a natural state that they go through they don't want to be brought out and lay on the grass or stones pebbles so get in the water don't be lazy we've all got legs you know we can walk and get into the water so um yeah just caring for the fish is my number one thing and i hate i hate it when i see mishandling it really grinds my gears because it's really easy to look after these fish if we're catching and releasing it's clear to see you're quite passionate about that so that's which is a good thing obviously have you got a favorite fish atlantic salmon <laughs> I should have I shouldn't shouldn't really need to ask that should I <laughs> king of the river yeah why why <laughs> what is it about them why why the Atlantic salmon I think because I've been chasing them since I was so young since I was eight years old so and it's something that my mother is you know my mother is so obsessed with Atlantic salmon so I kind of I think it's just ingrained in me from such a young age and I think that because of you know the state of the the stocks and how they're depleting so fast. I think for me, I'm I'm even more so passionate about the species and and trying to, you know, conserve them as much as possible. And I think they're just incredible. I mean, their migratory route is out to Greenland and, and what they have to go through to then come back to the their birth river is just incredible. It's you can't even imagine what what they've seen and what they've you know how many die from I mean at the moment they're saying that um, at least 50% of smolts which is a young salmon which goes from the river out to sea to feed um, that the 50% of the smolts aren't even making it out to the estuaries so the problem is in the rivers which is yeah which is crazy because before all the tagging um, happened, they thought that the problem was out at sea. So they were, weren't expecting that. And um, yeah, it's just a very sad situation. Salmon, yeah, they've definitely had a hard, uh, hard few years. And I guess they were unusual and that they're one of the few fish that most people, if you said to someone, tell me the life cycle of a salmon, even if they're not an angler or into wildlife, they, they'd have some idea, oh, they, they're in the river, they go oh. out to sea. Whereas, you know, if you said, uh, 
tell me about a barbel, they'd be like, what's a barbel? So it's quite nice that Salmon have got that wider, wider reach. Uh, have you got a favourite venue? Oof. Mm. Not, I mean, to be honest, my salmon fishing is very sporadic. I mean, I guide on my home river, the River Yore, uh, which is a recovering salmon river. But other than that, I would say Scotland, but I haven't really been able to go up there much over the last year or two. So, um, but if I'm, if I'm, if you're, if you say to me, okay, you can be anywhere right now, where would you be? And that would probably be um, in the tropical salt water. Uh, okay, well, like bonefish yeah. and tarpon and stuff. Yeah, bonefish, tarpon, permit. Um, any reef fish yeah so get me to the salt that's where I'm where I am now in my dreams I did Cuba last year in January oh um, but it wasn't it wasn't where all the flats are so because I, I in my head I was like oh Cuba's an island it can't be that big and I was like a 10-hour drive from where they they do all the oh. all the fly fishing and I was like oh so that was a little bit annoying so I ended up just kind of catching little tiddlers off a pier but it was still oh, nice but that's um, good though. I'll get uh, I'll get out there at some point do do a little bit of that. Uh, I suspect I know the answer to this, but favourite method? Um, fly fishing. I mean, fly fishing is something that I've really focused on and I love it, you know, and um, it's something that keeps me alive. Like I love, I love, I love it. Um, I love it all. And even in the toughest of times, you know, in situations where I've just done 20 days on pike in the, on the Baltic coast, which was so cold, wading, not even on a boat, wading. <laughs> and it was so cold. And by the end of, you know, 20 days, I just said, I just want to enjoy my life again. I just, <laughs> I just, I just want to go home. And that was enough for me. So, um, you know, even in the toughest time, but when everything comes together and when you catch a fish in really horrendous um, conditions, you know, that is, something that is so rewarding that you can't even explain to others until they give it a go i guess the nice thing with fly fishing as well is it is well depend, depends how physically fit you are but there is a an element of exercise to it like obviously you can carp fish and you can go to sleep and leave your rods but with fly fishing you're 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 moving around you're constantly casting like it is it's you say to people fishing is good exercise and they're like oh you just sit down all day but fly fishing books the trend for that like you can keep relatively fit by fly fishing yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of the time, fly fishing, you're moving because you're trying to cover as many fish as possible. Whereas with, let's say, carp or sometimes coarse fishing, you're sitting there and waiting for those fish to come into your swim. So it's very, very different. And I think that both aspects is, are great because some people just want to chill and sit there and enjoy the nature around them. Whereas some people, fly fishing suits them better because they want to be more active. They want to walk around. They want to, you know, explore rivers for miles and miles every day. So it's really, really cool that we have so many different types of um, techniques, methods and things that suit any anyone. I guess that's make because it's so accessible. That's probably one of the reasons why it's such a a large uh, participated sport really because more or less anyone can uh, can do it um and i'll end on this last one so have you have you got an angling hero growing up was there anyone who like they are someone you kind of learned a lot from or, or respected a lot funny you say that because you've just interviewed him <laughs> jeremy oh. wade was my pinup i mean <laughs> i have many heroes but he was for so long 
growing up was my pinup and every time someone would mention his name I'd be like oh, I love Jeremy Wade <laughs> and um it's very embarrassing now because actually he came to uh do a talk at the U.S. Salmon Group fishy dinner um so and everyone knew that he was my pinup when I was younger and everyone wanted to talk to him I'm too shy so anyway I just went into complete meltdown but it was really cool meeting him and he's a really interesting guy I think he's explored the world and and you know done so many things that everyone would dream about and at, at, at the same time he sort of brings that home for everyone to watch and um, love his investigating type um, you know programs and I do, yeah, and uh, there's just so many great people out there that have done so much for the sport and so many heroes that we all look up to. And uh, we're really lucky to have these people that have paved the way and um, and offer so much to the sport. Yeah, he's an absolute legend. He's a lovely chap as well. He's kind of very, very down to earth. And um, yeah, he's a great, he's a great guy. Well, look, look it's, been, it's been great chatting to you, uh, Marina, and finding out a little bit more about how you do it and some of the perceptions in in angling so thanks for thanks for coming on thank you so much and uh again like i just want to thank you and i want to um sort of uh, tell you that i i've also enjoyed your work and i think that it's really inspiring i remember i don't i don't think i met you because you had so many people around you at the london fly fishing fair a few years ago but i remember um looking you up and just seeing all your photos and um I think that was the year that your book came out, I think. Possibly. But anyway, I just I think that it's a really cool thing for anyone to try and actually study these fish underwater because most of us don't get the chance and just and don't really know what's happening underneath the water. And I that's why it's, it's something that really uh, intrigues me. And I think that you do such an amazing job. The quality of your photos, the the adventure that you um, that you take yourself on and show us is great. That's very kind of you. I mean, I will definitely take you up on the, we'll have to do the chalk stream uh, day at some point, like get in and have yes. a little snorkel. That would be good. Like see how things that go this year. so exciting. And I can't wait for you to come. So I will, I will sort that out next year. It was something, cause they've got really big pike in there and they've got undercut banks and uh, you normally catch them right there. So when I was swimming down, I was just looking right to left thinking, Oh God, I'm so scared. It was, so, it, you know, the ribbon weed and every, it was really spooky, especially when you're by yourself. It can be yeah. really spooky. Oh, it's great. Like, really great. The incredible. adrenaline. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's good. Oh, we'll definitely yeah. do that, Marina. That sounds good. Well, look, take care. Okay. Thanks so much. Bye. I think what comes across hearing Marina is her passion and dedication to angling. It's such an important part of her life. And I think it's fantastic when people have that, whether it's bird watching, stamp collecting, whatever. That was today's podcast. Hope you liked it. Do check out Britain's Hidden Fishers. And next week, I'll be talking to adventure angler Jeremy Wade about the monsters that eluded him, his break into TV, and a catfish that swims up your penis. What more do you want? This has been the Bearded Tits Podcast. I've been Jack Perks, and I'll see you next time. Cheers.